0: Before we dive into today's episode, we have a special announcement. Coming up this August is the very first Practice of Being Seen retreat. We'll be welcoming a gathering of 13 therapist healers to join us in New York's breathtaking Catskill Mountains for what we're calling revision. Explore your stories, shape your future. This is a time to dive deep into self-care, into your stories, and into all that you hope to manifest coming this fall and into the year ahead. For more information, please visit us at www.practiceofbeingseen.com events.
1: The Practice of Being Seen is about understanding who you really are
0: and daring to share your truth with the world. This is a conversation with and for seekers, creators, and holders of transformation. We believe that stories shape relationships and relationships shape stories.
1: This is Rebecca Wong, Relationship
0: Therapist and Founder of Connectfulness. And this is Marisa Gowdy, Writer and Storytelling Coach for Healers. And this is The Practice of Being
1: Seen. The information in this podcast is not a substitute for help from a licensed mental health professional.
0: We are so thrilled to have Soness Stevens with us right now. She's the head speaker coach for multiple TEDx events and has coached over 109 TED and TEDx speakers. She represented Japan for TED Worldwide, spoke at TEDx Fukuoka and TEDx Waseda U. Synes has a weekly national broadcast TV show on communications and is an associate professor of business presentation skills at YNU. You may have seen her on NHK TV and Fox TV Japan or heard her as the official voice of Hello Kitty. She lives near the beach and practices Zazen meditation at her local temple in Japan. Welcome, Soness.
2: Thank you so much for having me. How exciting. I I just love, love, love that you talk about relationships and how the relationships uh, build the stories. it's absolutely beautiful.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, when I first met you at Camp GLP, um, Good Life Project Camp, for adults, <laughs> you were giving pre- a presentation on, um, on giving a TED Talk, and you were talking about the five whys, going deeper and deeper and deeper, and stories and relationships, for me at least, really became part of, of my whys. Ooh, I would love to hear how that went. Yeah. <laughs> I, happen, I happen to have it in front of me right now. Um...
2: <laughs> so, for, the, for if you're listening for the first time, um, so one of the things that we try to get to in your TED talk, and if you're, you know, we always think about what makes a really great TED talk, and there are so many different factors, but what one of the one of the most important factors of creating a TED talk is actually going beyond what Simon Sinek calls your why. And start with why, but actually getting deeper into your universal truth. And so we practiced a technique of getting deeper and deeper based on a Toyota management technique. I know it's kind of bizarre, but I take these. It still um,
0: sticks with me. I love does it. it. It's so resonant.
2: Yeah, it's it's a great starting place. So if you're thinking about, oh, you know, what do I need to talk on? Or I've got nothing new to say. And you're trying to figure out what is that message that's really going to resonate with other people while keeping an integrity with yourself, it's actually boiling it down to what is the universal truth. And so the Toyota management technique starts like this. It says like, for example, uh, I, uh, the, the Toyota car is on the factory line and, and the car won't, uh, the car doors are not opening properly. And someone says, why? Uh, because the, the hinge is incorrect. Why? Uh, because it was applied uh, wrong. Why? Uh, because the late night shift, um, they're full of idiots. <laughs> Why? Uh, because they, are, um, uh, they, they aren't careful with their job. Why? Because they're working too many hours over time. So really what it boils down to, there's nothing wrong with a door. It's actually a human resource problem. So I learned this at the university where I teach here in Japan. I'm an associate professor, and I pick up on these really fun, interesting business management skills. I'm like, Hmm, how can you use that for the greater good? <laughs> and so I started turning that into and experimenting with over a thousand students and then taking it into my, my practice with my TED speakers and started to realize when we asked the question why the first thing that we do, and actually, you know, let's do this together right now. So if you're thinking of a TED talk that you are like, oh, I, I'd love to give a TED talk. I don't know, know what my message is. Let's practice this together right now. And you guys can do too. Okay, Rebecca? yeah, okay. I know you I know you've got yours in front of you. Is this useful?
1: Oh, yeah, we love this. This is awesome.
2: Okay, so let's let's dive right into action because I'm all about action. So all right, let's move in. So all right, let's think um, you take a moment and just kind of close your eyes and answer the question why. It doesn't matter if you move vertically or laterally, and you'll understand what I mean in just a moment as I ask the question why? because you're like, is it why building on the next one? or is it why just asking the question why? Whatever you answer is actually the right answer in that moment. And let's try this. So think about why does the world need to hear your message? And I'll give you a space to answer that. Are you ready? Let's do this five times. Okay. Let's rock and roll. Why does the world need to hear your message? Okay. Why? 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 And why? Now you may need to pause between those. But um, what you'll find is, as you go through this, I have a little magic decoder ring for this. You know, when you're having a conversation with somebody and they say what they think you want them to say, it's a really confusing grammar structure there, but. You know, when you're, you're asking, oh, what do you think of my new haircut? Oh, really? Sure, it doesn't look good on you. Oh, it looks great. <laughs> so that kind of reaction. They think you want them to say it looks great or it's an affirmation of that moment. And that's what the first why is. It's what we think someone else wants us to say. And the second why is right. what we think we want to say. The third why is what our heart says. And that's where all our, our you know, our, our passion and all that lives in, in that heart space. And it's really important to live in passion, but you can't really live in passion forever. And then you have your third why, which is what your, oh sorry, that's your fourth why, which is what your gut says. And that's your, you know, and that's where, where all of that comes from. And then you have your fifth why, which is your universal truth. And this is what's going to resonate for everyone. There's a, there's a common thread upon there and it just boils down to, uh, a, a beautiful essence. And that's where your, the seed of your, your talk comes from. And I do this for every talk that I give, whether it's a, a Ted talk or a Pecha Kucha talk, or if I'm speaking in front of an academic audience as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's a very deep technique and often it requires having, having me there along on the ride to help get to the to the universal truth. But I think it's a technique that everyone can practice. And a lot of my students are calling it the wisdom of the five whys now. So, um, yeah. I, I like thank you.
1: It's, innovation uh, doesn't have to come why from... Is, I mean, why is definitely one of my favorite questions. I probably started very early on and I haven't stopped asking it.
0: <laughs> it's a very important question. I have to say, from the experience of having done this exercise twice, I am just kind of floored by how very different the responses can end up being um and yet both of them feel equally true but from very different parts of the spectrum Ooh, you're talking about your own responses marisa my right? own like, responses yeah as i as i you know jotting these down having done it with Sunessa in a workshop this summer and then doing it again i'm like i'm just kind of sitting here and marveling over my own process so pardon me for a moment while, while my whys are very private but i think I, you know we all <laughs> we all go through that process right we ask we're asking our own why and uh and one of mine was was about a toaster, and the other one is about, like, fundamental fear. So um, it's interesting. <laughs> ah,
2: you know, that is really fascinating. And that's a really great point because a- as you go through, you're actually listening to your heart in that moment. We're constantly evolving. Who we are today is not who we were yesterday. Just like we're not the same toddlers that we were when we were two and three years old. We are ever-evolving. And so your, your universal truth will ever evolve with you. If it's staying stagnant, then maybe something's... Um, not in progression in your world, and so it's a really great point at which you can you can move forward, and also every talk that you give and every moment that you do this. Like my universal truth for uh, I gave an academic talk last week on um, how autonomous learners uh, model model great speakers, and I teach uh, I teach TED style presentation skills at one of Japan's top universities, and full of a room full of PhDs and all this, and you know, getting to the universal truth of what that audience needs to hear. And also how I resonate and connect with that is very different from what seriously, like my Ted talk on a rice cooker. Like, really? <laughs> Do you think that's my body of work? All of my research going into a Ted talk on a rice cooker? No. <laughs> so at that point, you know, we still have to go through the process and hear what is the universal truth in that. And when Ted asked me to speak about how I cook three meals a day in a rice cooker, I was like, but, but what about my research? What, what about all this? They're like, "Mm, yeah, we want you to talk about your rice cooker. I get it. It's a novelty thing, but some of the best Ted talks are actually the most viewed Ted talks are novelty talks, like how to use a paper towel or how to tie your shoes or mine, how I cook three meals a day in a rice cooker. And in that, going back to the universal truth, I did that same process and it all boiled down to the last line of my talk, which is, if we remove the labels, we can be anything that we want to be. And in life, go against the grain. So, you know, it does, there is a universal truth, even if it's something light and fluffy. Whereas my TEDx talk on how to listen so people will talk, again, that universal truth is very different. And that boils down to listening is love. So, two very, very different talks, three very, very different talks. And yet there is a very different universal truth.
1: And then there's, there's the talk you haven't given yet, but something I've heard you say, um, which I'm going to quote back to you. You've said, speaking is healing because you are listening. And it, that sounds like it's a whole nother TED Talk waiting to happen.
2: Mm, I'm taking notes on that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you didn't necessarily say it today, Samess, but I've heard you say that in the past. So I'm curious if we can use that maybe as a little transition. Can you speak into that a little bit? Can you share with, with our audience, with our listeners yeah. what you mean by that? Because I think so much of your wisdom is embedded in, in that line, that speaking is healing
2: because you're listening. Well, thank you. Actually, it has, a, it has a, lot of, um, a lot of openness to it. Just out of curiosity, how did that resonate with you and what, what points were they um, bringing up for you? In your world.
1: I love that you're turning this around. (laughs) Tell me more. (laughs) So as a relationship therapist, one of the things that I often will talk to my clients about, we're often listening with this ear that's already tuned into what we want to say next. Mm. Um, so we're not fully listening, but there's this thing about speaking, being healing because you're listening so that when you're speaking and in the, I haven't spoken in public a lot, but the times that I have, there's something so powerful in regards to the responses you get back from your audience while you're speaking, Mm. that there's a fine tuning, to seeing the inflections and and what they catch and what they don't catch and what you think they might catch, but then they catch something else. There's something in that um, interplay between the speaker and the audience. That's just such a powerful experience. And this whole part about healing, that speaking is healing. There's something in there that I like, that's, that's what I want to know more about. It's, it's what piqued my curiosity and it, um it's a place where I feel like there's there's some more depth and magic even there that um it's still a little bit elusive to me. I wanna I wanna understand that more.
2: Ooh, I love how that really resonated with you and I appreciate you sharing that. You know, a lot of speaker coaches talk about speaking and presentations as a performance and you get up there and perform. But What's happening when you're on a stage and you're performing, it turns into a monologue. To be or not to be. And it's not really a dynamic interaction with the audience. But our job as speakers and as relationship builders, because that's who we are, is, is, that, is about creating that, that dialogue. In that moment that you're on stage speaking, you're giving a presentation. And presentation is about being... Present in that moment, and prior to that, and the best of the bed TED speakers rehearse over two hundred times for their talk. You've spent time to contemplate and meditate to be mindful in that moment. So when you are on stage, you can really connect. When you connect that way, you practice the art of compassion. And you know, I practice Zen meditation here at my my local temple in my town, um, and. One of the practices that we work on is the practice of compassion, which is simply put, just like me, just like me, this person has felt pain. And just like me, this person wants to make a change in their lives. And just like me, this person wants to be loved. So if we can simplify everything Mm -hmm. down to the act of that, we look at the audience, like just like me, this person right here, whether it's an audience of one or an audience of a, thousand which is really just an audience of one and one and one and one it's it's the highest act of compassion just like me compassion is what compassion is constructing new ideas that they're building next door <laughs> excuse the noise they are really <laughs> literally building a house right next door so as we're constructing ideas they're constructing houses so compassion is really what compassion is love love in action and that's your job as a speaker is to give that love in action and what is love listening is love so if you're in that moment truly being present in your presentation then you will be filled with that love which is listening so you have compassion love and listening there's no judgment if you're really listening to what your audience is feeling and thinking And you're having that dialogue with them beforehand. And you're having that moment to contemplate before you even step on any stage. Then you will actually be mindful in your listening practice without that judgment, without the excitement about the, I know, I know, (laughs) wanting to jump in the conversation next. What brilliant thing you're going to say to wow them, because it's not about you. It's about that person right there. And that one person... You have that opportunity in that moment to reach them with that love, that compassion, that listening. And in that moment, you heal them. And you're also, every time you do it, you're enacting a moment of healing for yourself. You heal them. And then from there, they go out and share that idea with someone else. That's why it's an idea worth spreading. And in that way, they can go forward and touch someone else's lives.
0: You know, Sinas, I, this, this is all aligning so perfectly because as I'm thinking about it, speaking is healing because you're listening. Of course, as a writer and a storyteller, where I'm going with this is thinking about that, proce- that process of you know being on the page and knowing that in order to tell a story that really means something to you, the writer, to anyone who's ever going to read your work or who, who's going to you know consume it in whatever form it eventually takes after you've mm. written it down it's really about listening to yourself and getting still enough and practicing that compassion and that non-judgment and that self-love in order to go through that initial process because whether it's going through you know the the wisdom of the five wise or whatever your first rough drafts are that you eventually would like to see become a TED talk become some other form of getting your message out there besides just the written word, you know, and what's where I often work with a lot of my clients is, okay, eventually they want to get on the TED stage. That's not where I'm helping them necessarily. I'm at them, you know, working with them in a different, a different space and saying, okay, maybe that becomes that someday right now. Who are you? What's your story? And it begins with that very similar set of, a very similar set of qualities that um, I think just that again, works on that level of, of the self, Yeah,
2: that's very powerful. That level of that self and that self-love and that practice. Uh, Are you familiar with William Zinser, the author of Writing on Writing Well? Brilliant, brilliant guide to writing um, nonfiction, but just one of the masters of of getting into what your work is and your craft as a storyteller is, and particularly your storytelling style in the written form. And, you know, it it is. Writing can be self-indulgent. And instead of saying that it's self-indulgent, indulgent, we can also turn it into, this is a matter of a practice of self-love. And as you work it and you hone it, you start to really um, take a moment and reflect and contemplate, well, what does this actually mean to me? What, what is all this about? And how is this, uh, how is this one story or this one moment, a moment of transformation in my own life? And then maybe it'll spark a change in someone else.
0: In our world, we call that the self focused first draft and giving yourself permission to have a self focused first draft before you worry about, wait, does other, do other people need to hear this story? And they probably do once you've really written into why you oh, I dog. love that. The self focused first draft. <laughs> That's brilliant. Anne Lamott talks about the mm-hmm. shitty first draft. And I don't think it's necessarily about quality. It's that too, but it's about being able to say, "I'm just going to write about me first, and that's where I have to begin. So it's our SFD in, in practice of being seen.
2: Wow, that's pretty deep. Yeah, I love that. And really, you know, a great, a great piece of writing and a, like a great TED talk. You know, people think, "Oh, you know, you just get up there and kind of wing it." And you have a basic idea. It takes a good, it takes a good eight months to a year. <laughs> To, to develop something and you start to develop and hone it, and that's like your first draft and your second draft. Um, a lot of my students come to me and I, I ask them in my course, Step on the Red Dot. We're building your 2.5 minute version of your TED talk to apply to speak at a TED or TEDx stage. And you know, you know, here you've got like your whole entire body of work, your research, something you've written a PhD thesis on, or maybe something that you've experienced in your life, and you're like, man, I need all 18 minutes. And I'm asking my students to give me 2.5 minutes. And, you know, you go back and you say, all right, eight pages, give me four. <laughs> and they like, what? I'm never going to be able to do that. And they go back and they cut and they cut and they cut and they get down to the essence of it. Okay, now go take a walk, step in, step, step out, step in, step out, which means get into the writing, step away, take a walk, go do something else, step in, have a walk and talk, go talk with somebody, give me a call, we'll do our things, you know, and and get back in into until you really get to the refined essence of it, because you're not up there just speaking for yourself, and you're not up there telling a story for yourself, because that's just self gratification on a stage which nobody really wants to watch. <laughs> that should be you know that's for your home life. But in this case, it's so essential. You you go from your self focused first draft. I love that expression. Thank you for that. And then moving into uh, you're welcome. Moving into the clarity in your. What makes a great TED Talk is to make it clear and concise and actionable. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, that idea of standing, stand on the red dot, is that related to the idea of standing on your truth? when you Oh, had us right that's a good question. Oh. oh, the soul the intention, soul intention. Oh, my gosh. That little phrase you invited us to invent has, like, really shifted my life. Really? Tell me months. more about that. Yes, it was... Um, you asked, so t- well, well, you, why don't you set it up with what the, what the invitation was? Cause I've never had anyone ask me to do this before. And it, and apparently it was something I had always needed to do.
2: <laughs> Actually, uh, this is hilarious. It's, uh, it's a very simple process, you know? So what makes the difference between a great Ted speaker when they're standing on that stage versus a eh speaker? I have this technique, which I, in- I invented this, this crazy technique, um, uh, more than, 15 years ago now and I have all of my TED speakers do this and I asked them to write on their feet. So go ahead and write on your foot what's your intention for today or your talk? And um, I asked Daniel Epstein and he's the founder of uh, Unreasonable at Sea and you know he wrote on his on his shoe uh, have fun And so he went out and he, had fun and the audience had fun. Everybody was full of laughter. It was great. And the next speaker, Megumi, I asked her, and she's the woman who is the the um the filmmaker who made the documentary Half about being half Japanese and half foreign in Japan. Or even around the world it, it really it really connects around the world. And I said, what's your intention for today? And go ahead and write that on your on your shoe or on your foot. And she said, resonate. And she went out and she spoke. And the audience went, wah, 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 wah through that resonation of her talk. And I asked another speaker um, who I wasn't actually coaching. But I said, come join us for this. And uh, I said, what's your intention for today? And he said, standing ovation. Standing ovation. OK. Huh. I wonder how this is going to go. And so he we went out. And what do you think happened? He spoke and? total silence. what was the difference between uh, Daniel and Megumi versus, I'm not even going to mention his name, the standing ovation guy.
1: Well, it's the difference between wanting to resonate with others and wanting something for yourself. Yes.
2: Because when you speak, it's actually recycling that energy. What you give, you get back, but you first, you have to give it. And, in the case of Daniel, he wanted to have fun, and he had fun, and the audience had fun, and everybody was having a great time. Megumi wanted to resonate, the audience was resonating, and Mr. Stunning Obeishon. Uh, I can say that because I've lived in Japan for half my life. I still live in Tokyo. Um, and uh, and uh, sometimes I catch myself speaking in Katakana Japanese, <laughs> but I won't do that today. <laughs> so, uh, And he went out, and he asked the audience, give me, give me, give me. Versus what am I going to give you? So there was no reciprocation. So now before every workshop and every talk that uh, I give, I ask myself and I also ask my students and I asked myself today, what is my intention for today? And I actually wrote that on the sole of my slippers. Connect and ease. At the beginning of the workshop, I asked you as well, what's your intention for today? And go ahead and write that on your sole. And the sole is very symbolic of your foot, right? Because the sole is... It's what's connected to the earth. It grounds you. and It's what you stand upon your intention. So it's called stand upon intention. And also, it's symbolic in your soul and your spiritual soul are connected in that intention. And once you write that down, you never really need to think about it because it's just ingrained in you. Actually, I just uh, I just got published in um, this this spring. Actually, my publication should be coming out. I'm in an academic peer-reviewed journal based on the Standing on Intention stand on intention process mm-hmm. that I teach and how it, how it helps how um, students learning presentation skills and connecting with their audience.
1: So I love it, especially because, you know, and I'm, I'm getting the sense throughout a lot of what you've been talking about today, but there's, there's these simple little tools that you're using to infuse this message of mindfulness, of listening, of love, of connecting and, and, all of these pieces are what come together to give this great talk. Yeah, but it's also something that's so easy to absorb. Like it, it's simple. It, it's falsely sim- um, easy to absorb, but there's this um, there's a simplicity in, in understanding the pieces of it. So as it comes together, it's digestible, and then it's it's practice and practice and practice and practice that makes it what it is. Mm. Excellent. Yeah. Well said. It is a lot of
2: practice and life should be simple. Like, why is it not? It's our own, it's our own heads, complicating things. And gosh, I know those, I know those had those voices in my head, (laughs) you know, those 10,000 hours of voices that we heard as children telling us, you know, these positive and negative ideas before we're even six years old. So yeah, we have to make a choice to keep life simple we all
1: have to so you know one of the things we like to do on on this podcast is kind of talk about how um how your your own story impacts the work that you do and the what you bring to the world can you speak a little bit about what got you to this place where you're an amazing speaker and you help teach other people how to be as well how you teach others to connect? Oh, thank you,
2: and thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. Um, I, I don't consider myself a communications expert, even though this is my field of research and this is, you know, what I teach. I, I prefer to think of myself as a communications practitioner. And I went into this field not because it's something that I'm awesome at, but because it's actually my Achilles' heel. Uh, if you've seen my TEDx talk, "How to Listen So People Will Talk," uh, it's.
1: It is so good. I highly recommend that everybody watch it.
2: thank (laughs) you. I appreciate that. Uh, It's, yeah, it's, you know, listening became an early fascination for me. And it stemmed from having to be very cautious and having to listen in the environment I was was raised in. Um, My mother suffered from uh, mental illness. And as a result, we were constantly... Um, packing up everything that we owned in the middle of the night and shoving it in the car and pulling out of the driveway to go live at a truck stop or just move from truck stop to truck stop. And this is before the vagrancy laws came into effect back in the 1970s. And, you know, when, as a child growing up around that, and I'm sure you've seen that if you're in in the modality of uh, transformation, as a professional in transformation, whether in a psychology or, or, uh, even a coach, you'll know that those, those moments in your life really create a significant influence on who you're going to grow up to be or what you are, uh, what coping strategies and mechanisms you come up with. And for me, it created a, a curiosity. And I was always wondering, how can I play ninja? My brother and I would always play ninja and it was it was as much of a fun game as it was as it was a coping strategy. And you know, being quiet and climbing up trees and jumping into dumpsters and stealing coins from my mom's coin tray to buy food. And because there wasn't any food in the refrigerator, there wasn't any food around. So we'd have to always find uh, coins to to get something to eat. And that significantly influenced how how i connect and listen to other people and it wasn't an easy thing i don't think listening is an easy skill it's something that we practice and we learn Uh, and for many years i spent time trying to shout just to be heard please listen to me please and that was be the um that's that's a quite common trauma yeah. And a lot of people, when they do want to speak on stage and they do want to be a performer or something like that, and I've noticed uh, I was on a nationwide tour for over 15 years and every weekend I'd watch people come on and I was kind of an unusual anom- anomaly. I wasn't really a, an actor or performer, but I was a storyteller. And the one thing that kept coming up and I could see time and time again is that everybody had a story, a trauma about not being heard. Mm -hmm. And so all of the performers, performers, all of the speakers, all the speakers. And so you get up on that stage and for that one moment, people look at you and they listen. Wow, this is fascinating. And then I realized, but that's me too. Yeah. And so that's where, that's where it all went down the rabbit hole of what does it mean to listen to other people? And after living half of my life in Japan and half of my life in America, I came up with three Simple concepts in which we can better listen to other people, and once we listen to other people, as Buddhist activist and monk uh, Thich Nhat Han says, I'm going to summarize and paraphrase this: uh, Once we have listened to someone else, once they have felt heard, then we get our own chance to be heard. So again, yes. it's
1: that reciprocal process. Yes. People are always able to open up and listen once they feel like they've been heard. It's, it's what I teach couples when I'm working with them. It's, um, it's what I practice in my own life. It's one of the most important interpersonal skills that we can, we can develop. And it makes so much sense that that's also something that comes through when we're on stage speaking to bigger and bigger audiences. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. And I I love also, you know, in, in the story you just shared with us um, about yourself, but also about everyone that you've worked with and that you've, the observations you've made about other speakers, you know, that brings a whole nother meaning to that speaking is healing um, phrase that that I reflected back to you from an earlier exchange between the two of mm. us. So,
2: when we talk about listening and and all of my talks are about communication and being between two people but i also get curious so where does communication begin and i think you brought up an excellent point point. and then communication begins within can i tell you a little story about uh, about this little incident i saw with a little girl and her mother can i share this with you
1: Please do, okay, yes. So I, was,
2: I was standing on a local train platform on the outskirts of Tokyo, and there was this mom and her daughter, who must have been like seven years old at the time, and uh, on the train platform, there's this huge train departure signboard, and this little girl is taking running leaps into the air, reaching for the train departure signboard, and it hangs about seven feet in the air, and she misses by a long shot, and her mom <laughs> shouts at her, Moody! Impossible. You can't do it. And the little girl just stopped and she took her place next to her mom. And I wondered, what if that little girl was Japan's next Olympic high jumper, stunted right here and now? (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, I get curious about those words and how they affect us. And as a communications practitioner, I often hear students and I hear my clients say to themselves underneath their breaths before coming up to the stage to present, I can't or I'm nervous. And so I begin to question, does that communication really start between two or more people or does it really begin within? And what do we say when we actually talk
1: to ourselves? And so I would, I would go a step further with that and I would say that it's a combination of both. Mm. It's kind of a little bit of a chicken and the egg because there's certainly that piece of the communication that begins within, but that communication that begins within was learned really early Mm. on. Those are the internalized voices of our caregivers. Yes.
0: And, you know, I can't help but think, Soness, about your TED Talk that we were discussing before and the insights you got around your own mother's Mm -hmm. life and... Um, you know, just from my notes here, just that she said something to you like, life wouldn't have been such a struggle if people had yeah. listened to her.
2: So for my, whole, my mom's whole entire life, my mom was born um, during the Great Depression, 1931. And, you know, at that time, that was a time when little girls should be seen and not heard. And here she is. She's this vivacious little girl, curly hair. You know, that's the type of fiery wild child who had these you know, aspirations of singing and dancing and doing all these fabulous things and very outspoken. And every time that she spoke up, people would say, you're crazy. Shut up. Little girl should be seen, not yeah. heard. And so she carried that through her whole entire life, that trauma, whether it was her ex-husband yeah. who always told her to shut up and don't tell anybody what's actually happening when her first child died at nine months. Um, she couldn't even talk about it, you know, the time it was born, they knew it was going to die, you know, and he said, don't tell my family, don't tell your family, don't tell anybody, and then after nine months, it died, and everybody's like, "What? what's going on here? <laughs> like, yeah, it died. Oh, okay, no, don't talk about it, you know, all these things it just kept happening. People kept calling her crazy, and and um, I gave this talk about how to listen so people can speak, and when doing that, I, I brought up for the first time on a major worldwide stage, About my mom's mental illness and I thought oh man she's gonna think she's gonna kill me (laughs) she's gonna be like you told the world I'm crazy but you know she doesn't have the internet so what would she really know but I I had to tell her (laughs) out of integrity and you know we had this little chat about it and I said mom I have this theory I, I wonder if maybe maybe you are the way you are today not because you're crazy But just maybe nobody actually listened to you. And I thought she was just going to go off on me. But instead, she took a moment and she reflected. And she said, you know what? From the time I was born, everyone told me I was crazy. And nobody ever listened. And we had a huge turnaround that day. And she opened up. And she talked and talked and talked for hours on end. And I just listened for hours and hours on end. And at the end of her talk, she said, you know, this is the first time I've ever felt heard. And that was the first time I ever felt truly really connected to my mom. We went. I went back to the United States last August for Camp GLP, Good Life Project with Jonathan Fields, where we met. And mm-hmm. I, I, I right. spent time with my mom. and. None of my siblings and there are six of us wanted mom to come to the family reunion because she's just very hard to manage. And I'm apparently the only person who can actually get her into action. I don't know why basically I'm like, do you want to do this or do you want to do that? Okay, let's do this. Um, But we had a talk on the way up in the car and she's this habit of talking over people. We were in the car for four hours and for four hours she talked and talked and I just listened and at one point I interjected, she was talking about a CD or a record album, uh, that had just been released. I said, Oh, you know, I just released a CD on, um, it was one of the most complicated, uh, complex songs I've ever done. It's Tim Burton's Halloween song, uh, Tim Burton album. And, uh, I recorded here in Tokyo and I'm pretty proud of it. And she didn't follow up with any questions. She just kept talking about something else. I'm like, yeah, mom, mm. have you ever noticed that, uh, you don't really take a breath. <laughs> and maybe you don't also listen to other people. Like, what's that about? Yeah. What would happen if you actually just took a moment and stopped? And she said, I don't mm-hmm. think anybody would let me talk again. Oh wow. Like, is that uh-huh. also building a wall? Is that a a block to intimacy? And she yeah. stopped again and she's like, Oh God. I'm just afraid everyone's gonna reject me. And especially when I go up to this family union, so what would happen if we just sat back and just listened and that we're present in that moment, what would happen? She's like, I don't know. I've never tried that. I'm like, well, let's just try that this weekend. Let's see it happens. And she's like, okay, let's try it. And she, I could feel our heart pounding and we're driving up to, um, her deceased ex-husband's estate where she was basically vanquished from and, um, where she spent a lot of time with her boys growing up and, And she, I could feel her heart racing. But when we got there, instead of making it about, I need, I want, she just laughed and she just listened. And for the first time, my brother said, this is the best time we've ever had with mom. And the pinnacle was when my brother Drew and my brother Richard took her hands and walked her out to the um, out into the yard to overlook the bay at sunset. And they were stood there, all three of them just stood there holding her hands. Mm-hmm. I took a photo of that moment, and it was the first time that there was that moment of healing. Because she took the moment to listen. I'm so proud of her. I was 85 years old, and she's turning 86 uh, this month. And uh, there's never a time at which to give up it's not like we can do anything to make those changes it's not our job to create the change but as family members we can create that space and there's no time limit upon which to make change in your life
1: you know what this is evoking for me i'm thinking about as you're sharing the story i'm thinking how you became a container for your mother how you you presented this idea right and from there, she was able to decide what to do with it and how to make changes and experience her relationships differently. And when you're speaking, you're doing something very similar. It's a very similar kind of container. You're presenting an idea. Mm.
0: Yeah.
2: So what kind of container are you going to create when you're speaking? Hmm.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah. 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 It's beautiful. That's so why I really do feel Thank you speaking you. is healing because you're listening. I really, this is, I know it's so vastly different from what other speaker coaches say, and I know it, it's just a little bit uh, out there. But I really do feel, God, I, I love my speakers. They're amazing. They go out and they create amazing changes, and they they think they're signing up for you know finding their TED worthy idea, but it's their own transformation as well. And then they go out and transform the world. This is not just going out there and like, I have this really cool idea. And like, you guys shall try this, but it's a moment of, Whoa, deep reflection. And, then um, we really need to, to be open to those ideas within ourselves. And I love how you talked about the self focused first draft, because in that moment we do need to be self-focused, um, and, and work through that process. It's, it is a little bit different. (laughs) We're not going to talk to you about performance all day,
0: but really about the heart. Right. And then the next step is that idea of reciprocity. I mean, that's, I think what I'm going to come back to again and again, when I think of this conversation and, um, and perhaps it's in part because when you invited us to, to to stand on our intention, what I had written was hold and be held. And, that has guided me certainly through the pro- the process of Rebecca and my relationship and learning how to co-host a, pro- a podcast together and how to be healers and holders and speakers and listeners. And it's so it's helped me professionally, but certainly, my God personally. And um, I'm just deeply grateful. Thank you for just connecting these dots from from, you know, I have to say, like, oh, TED Talks, like I don't know if I'm really interested in that right now. I'm not super focused on mm-hmm. that. You've opened that up so much further and so much far, so far beyond that that um, speaking as healing sounds like the most natural thing in the entire world to me right now. So I'm just I just want to recognize that oh, and say thank you,
2: thank you, thank you for sharing that. And I, I hear you on the fact that you know maybe TEDx isn't on your on your list at the moment. Um, and, and that's a really interesting point. And I also encourage my speakers to not just focus on the TEDx and not all of my students in my step on the red dot course are aiming for TEDx. In fact, some of them were aiming for Pecha Kucha, which is a, it's an event where you have 20 slides for 20 seconds each and it just automatically flows Mm -hmm. forward, but it's about creating that story and that relationship and getting back to the universal truth. And then they, you know, I had a speaker, Rob who had, just did not want to speak in general, just not his thing. Um, and then we worked through this whole process and he aimed for Pecha Kucha and he went up there, never having spoken in his life, but he runs a men's listening group here in Tokyo. And I'm like, this is such a great idea worth spreading and sharing and all of these elements. And he was like, nope, nope, not interested. But he did Pecha Kucha and he went up and he was the one who was the most connected with his talk, he found out what his universal truth was. And he was able to engage that audience to such an extent that he started running workshops and seminars and just running all these things before he just had a listening group. And now he's got workshops and seminars and, and you know, he's really transformed himself whether he's ready for the TEDx stage or not doesn't really matter because he's really, he's started healing his own trauma of not feeling heard by listening to others and then moving on and and moving forward into the speaking realm. And, And He's creating quite a transformation. I just remember, like this audience of 150 people in that Pecha Kucha room, were just mesmerized by what he was saying. Never having spoken his life, and he just really connected and engaged. He was so authentic. I just, I, I, I'm so, I love. My, like I said, I love my speakers. So it's not, a, <laughs> and, and that's another thing. You know, if you think about, like, say, okay, let's say your dream is you want to give a TEDx talk. In 2018, let's say between January and April, of 2018, you're like, not this year, but next year, what actually takes, I'll take that. You'll take that. All right. Well, it actually takes eight months to a year to develop that. <laughs> so you would actually need to start, um, in step on the red dot in April or May. And from there we start building what your core thesis is, the heart of your message, the basis of it, and create it into something that's a 2.5 minute audition piece that can easily be stretched out to four to 18 minutes. So when you create that, you're really, I mean, people are like, oh, I'm just going to write a little thing. No, <laughs> it's a lot of deep internal transformational work. It's pretty, it's pretty fun. I, I and I really admire my students for going there. And actually, I go through the same process at the same time again and again, even though I've given a TED talk and a TEDx talk and another TEDx talk. Um, I keep in the creation process just to remember where we're at. And demonstrate and go through that process with you. Okay, here's where I'm hitting. Here's where I'm hitting my internal blocks. How about you? Here's here are the voices that are coming up in my head. How about you? And so we create that dialogue, and people see that openness and vulnerability, and they feel like they have the the opportunity yeah. to catch up. Oh, I'm behind. Well, you're behind because there's a an internal battle going on with your creative blocks. <laughs> so we work through that, and then then after that, we get booked to speak, and that allows us to hone our message, whether it's a paid stage or a free stage online or on a, on, a, on a regular speaking stage, start to develop and hone those ideas. And then we spend three months working on your TED talk itself, two to three months working on that. And that includes 150 to 200 hours of rehearsal time because the best of the best TED speakers, that's how much they rehearse. And it's not that they rehearse because they want to memorize. It's because instead of memorizing, you want to really embody that in your soul. You want to know it so it's forward and backwards. Like, you know, the the ABC song, you know, if I sing, dun, 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 A, B, and you know exactly what's coming next. CD, you know, and we move through there. That's exactly how your talk will flow. So that way you can really be mindful, really be present with your audience and really have that opportunity to listen. And it doesn't have to be listening to what they are saying, but listening to their nonverbal reactions as well. And then right. that's when you'll be ready for your TED stage. I would say January to April 2018. So
0: yeah,
1: <laughs> it's pretty fun. You know, I, I one of the things I think is so awesome about the way you've just painted that picture is... The memorization piece is the part that I've always thought. Well, yeah, that's why I can't do it. But as you're describing this, I'm thinking, well, gosh, if I rehearse it that much, of course I can do it. So I think you know you're breaking it down into these like little pieces that make it feel like, well, yeah, those blocks that I've always thought of aren't really blocks. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. amazing. Thank oh, you for that. Oh, my pleasure.
2: Yeah. Thank you for acknowledging it and. It's pretty cool, you know, that talk about how to listen so people can speak or people will speak. And it, it it I started working on that more than a year in advance of that. And I was giving talks and presentations and it started off with something like Speak like a ninja <laughs> because I live in Japan. <laughs>
0: Um, and, you know, ended up being
2: this, this talk that I would give out to, you know, different conferences and, you know, on telesummits for you know, like 3000 employees of IBM and, and kept, kept honing it and developing it and just creating it and taking it from one hour and piecing it down into something that would be a bite-sized chunk into, into 18 minutes. There's a funny story there for another day <laughs> and then down into 12 minutes. And, you know, it's, it's really a year long process and that's why people need yeah. to start working on it. Like.
1: Today, let's go. Let's Early. rock and roll with this. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sanes, as we close out um, our conversation for today, I think we have so much to leave our audience with, and we're certainly going to put a lot in our show notes. Among those things, can you share with us how people could get in touch with you and the different ways that they could potentially work with you? Wonderful.
2: Thank you. So, actually, I would recommend if you're interested in speaking at TED, go over to www yourspeakingjourney.com because speaking is a journey, right? And that's your journey. (laughs) So we'll go on it together. Go over there to yourspeakingjourney.com and you can download a free PDF roadmap to everything you need to know to get booked to speak at TED. And that will give you a great interactive checklist
1: of all the things that you need to do to work through it. We're going to make sure that we put um, your TED Talks and on all your links in our show notes. So thank you so much for that.
2: Oh, thank you for having me.
1: Here's to reciprocity all around. So for more great content, check out practiceofbeingseen.com and spread the word by subscribing, rating, and reviewing the podcast. Music written and performed by Christopher Ferris and produced at Kidney Stone Studio.